Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 608. Chapter 91. Flame, Thunder, Broken Tree. The ridge we crouched on made a wide half-circle holding the bandits' camp in the center of a protective crescent. The result was the camp sat at the bottom of a large shallow bowl. From our position, I could see the open portion of the bowl was bordered by a stream that curved in and away. The trunk of a towering oak tree rose like a pillar in the center of the bowl, sheltering the camp with its huge branches. Two fires burned sullenly on either side of the great oak. Both would have been big as bonfires if not for the weather, as it was they merely shed enough light to reveal the camp. Camp is a misleading term. Encampment would be better. There were six field tents, short and sloping, mostly intended for sleeping and storing equipment. The seventh tent was almost a small pavilion, rectangular and large enough for several men to stand upright. Six men sat huddled close to the fires on makeshift benches. They were bundled up against the rain, all of them with the hard-eyed, long-suffering look of experienced soldiers. I ducked back below the ridgeline and was surprised to feel no fear at all. I turned to Martin and saw his eyes were a little wild. How many do you think there are? I asked. His eyes flickered thoughtfully. At least two a tent. If their leader keeps to the big tent, that makes thirteen, and we've killed three, so ten. Ten at the very least. He licked his lips nervously. But they could be sleeping as many as four to a tent, and the big tent could sleep five more in addition to the leader. That makes thirty. Less three. So at best, we're outnumbered two to one, I said. Do you like those odds? And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. It's getting tense. Yeah. Oh boy. What does it mean for Martin's eyes to be wild? Is he excited or surprised? I think he's freaked out that there's this many of them. They were not expecting to come across 30 bandits. They were so calm before, though. Like, they were so ready, it seemed. Especially Martin. Like, really, Quoth was the one who seemed not ready when, like, the other page, when Quoth was like, oh, well, Martin knows what he's doing, and Tempe knows what he's doing, and I'm here, and I don't have a plan. And now here we are on the on the next page, and Martin is the one that's got the wild eyes, so. Well, he did just kill somebody. He might be flush with adrenaline. And I agree with Jeremy that upon seeing the camp, it's probably a bigger deal than than he thought it would be. Yeah. It is an encampment. They are with military precision. Yeah, I think they were expecting to come across like five or six guys and then come across five times that many. I think Foth was prepared to be out of his depth no matter how many people they came across. He'd be exactly as out of his depth against five guys as he would against 30. So I think he is now just in the zone of like, okay, this is the problem. How are we going to solve it? And I think Martin is in the zone of, oh, 
this is a much bigger problem than I was expecting. What are we going to do? Okay. I see how that works. I was going to say, should Quoth be more afraid, but I guess you're right in that he, he knows no matter what he's out of his depth. Now, earlier we were kind of speculating about how big the bandit group was and what that means. And, you know, at, at most the estimate is like 30 guys, which is a lot of bandits, but like, it's not an army. It's like a big gang. They're not like going to besiege a city or like hold territory. They're just like a big gang of criminals who are well-armed. I don't know. As we'll see in a couple pages, they've got some really uh, well-drilled response to an attack and they're, they're soldiers. They're not criminals. I would say they're not a full army, but they do feel like a unit. Yeah. Even that, like, I'm like, I think it makes a lot of sense for these bandits to be like ex-military. You know, they could be soldiers who deserted and became bandits instead. Or they could be mercenaries. Or maybe it's an actual military operation. Maybe it's a false flag. I think we have uh, already suggested that the mayor is is warmongering. Um, what if this is actually a false flag operation? That's why the mayor doesn't really want it to stop. Doesn't actually expect Quoth to, to succeed because these are actual soldiers um, and the mayor is uh, is has set this up. Or, you know, maybe they're a foreign power. I know that we eventually learned that Cinder is, is their leader. So the involvement of the Chandrian is interesting. I think it is, it is in our mandate to look ever deeper and to just be asking questions. We're just asking questions here. But we've taken it as read that these are just criminals all along. But what if they're actually professional soldiers on a mission? Whether or not they're a foreign power, whether it's a false flag operation led by the mayor, uh, it could be that this is actually an official operation from higher up, whoever that higher up may be. I like the option to speculate about that, but I... I don't think it I don't I don't think it is. I think it's just bad guys in the woods. Agreed. Sometimes things are just what they Most are. Most of the time even. Sometimes bad guys in the woods are they're just bad guys in the woods. But hang on, you surely you agree that in this situation things are not what they seem cuz like they're not a bunch of bandits. They've been led to believe these are a bunch of bandits. Aren't they? They're not a bunch of bandits. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, they're not, like well-trained what, kind of guys. What, they're not what, like just... Yeah, they're okay, well-trained, okay, you know, long-suffering what, soldiers, I, as we learn on this very page. They're led okay, by Jeremy's a Jeremy's dying. You have to Nothing about the fact that of them being well-trained ex-soldiers precludes the idea that they're bandits. They're like, they're just successful bandits because they're well-trained. Okay, Jeremy, what will you eat when I am proven correct? Uh-oh, we're bringing it back. Uh, crow pie, as is tradition. All right, good. Well, you better start warming it up because you gonna be munching down on some of that feathery goodness. So either way, I win. I either be am correct and humiliate you, or I get some delicious crow pie. Yeah, that's the that's the correct attitude, Jeremy. That's Do right. you think crow pie would be like chicken pot pie, but with crow meat instead? No, I think it's like a carcass. Like I don't think that it's been prepared. <laughs> like you just like like. Cram a crow a, into the, the crust. Crow into oh like god! Crust. <laughs> it's like Weathers a roadkill, you know. You, you find it after a while. Who knows how long it's been there? And then you cram it into a pie crust. Yeah, exactly. God, it's disgusting. <laughs> we do have a letter. This is from Jamie, who writes on the Tecum theory. Hey there, pagers. I've been listening for a while now, but this is the first time one of my thoughts took a tangible enough shape to be worthy of a letter. So, 
When Jax meets the old man in his story, you mention the three theories about who he might be. Selatos, the Kithe, or Tekum. Here's why I'm firmly Team Tekum. Quote, Hollows was simple and square, with stained glass windows showing Tekum in a classic pose, standing barefoot in the mouth of his cave, speaking to a group of students. Name of the Wind, page 274. This is repeated almost verbatim in an early chapter of Wise Men's Fear as well. That's exactly how the old man is described in the story. And now my pot cracks. I think he might also be the Cathay. Being a skilled listener could definitely be part of his powers that allow him to know nearly everything. Then there's the way he asks Jax to stay with him a little longer, just like the Cathay does to Quoth later on in the book. And Jax very pointedly says that he figured out how to catch the moon through what the old man said to him. The old man doesn't like that, which makes me wonder. If he really is the Cathay, maybe he didn't always have a bad intentions. Maybe he only became bitter after Jax stole the moon. Maybe the Cathay, as the Fae know him now, didn't even exist yet during the Creation War. Maybe the Creation War created the Cathay. It also makes sense with Chronicler's insistence that there's no way the Cathay can truly know everything. He might just be very old and very good at listening, but never infallible. The Cathay and Tekum also seem connected if you look at quotes like, It's like Tekum said, nothing in the world is harder than convincing someone of an unfamiliar truth. And a secret, Tekum explains, is true knowledge actively concealed. This all turns out to be true, depending on whether Tekum's writings happened before or after he met Jax, everything he taught might ultimately have a sinister purpose, or at the very least, a greater purpose than anyone is aware of right now. So this got a little out of hand lengthwise, but maybe you'll have a page that's only three-letter lines sometime soon, so you can squeeze this letter in. I did try to only stick with what's relevant, believe it or not. Greetings from the Fey Realm, signed Jamie. That was a perfect length letter, Jamie. I agree. Never censor yourself. I love the idea of a uh, a like philosopher's writings that are tinged with evil that like are magically destined to only cause disaster in in a world. Like the idea that the Cathay's write it like influence has infiltrated something that is uh, taken as red is like is like modern wisdom is really interesting to me. Because like what else we don't we never really think about this. What else has the Cathay touched? Right. Like we we've learned or we it's been mentioned that the Jacks influenced the Cathay and or no, the, the Cathay influenced Jacks in some way. But like that can't be the only person that the Cathay has spoken to in its entire lifespan. So like what else is carrying the Cathay's uh, influence in the story? Interesting to think on. Indeed. I mean, OK, so if the Cathay is like. What, okay, what if there's like six degrees of separation for the Cathay? So wouldn't everything be touched by it? Yeah, kind of, when you think about it that way. like, And that's why Bass' fear about the Cathay starts to break down, right? Like, where does the butterflying end? Where does the, the influence end? It's an interesting parable. Okay. Is it only okay. the people that talk to it that get influenced by it? Or is it the people that talk to them? The people that they talk to? Maybe it's like a with? dilution of. I think that the the Cathay's stated purpose by Bast, I believe, is to cause as much misfortune as possible. So it like gives the advice that will cause the most misfortune. I don't think that means necessarily that it like curses the people that it interacts with to like spread constant misfortune, but it always gives the information, or you know, we are told that it always gives the information that will cause the most misfortune. Yeah, Jeremy, that's some truncheon. Uh, observation there. Yeah, real trenchant wisdom. Thanks for including. <laughs> I'm, I'm full of it, full of that trenchant wisdom. 
Yeah, I mean, I I do think Tekum is more likely than some of the 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 wilder the wilder notions. Uh, and I think that you raise a compelling point that like the imagery that is associated with the old man in the story of the boy is more explicitly tied to Tekum than it is to say Celatos, which was my other my other big And one this is a this is a bit of a stretch, I admit it, but like the old man in the tree could be sorry, the old man in the cave could be similar to like the creature in the tree. And it's like saying, uh, I am no more it's like if you said to Tekum, uh, are you the cave? And he's like, No, you know, I'm I'm no more a cave than you are a chair, which is what Quoth says, like I'm no more a tree than you are a chair, right? So it's like Maybe the cave is the metaphor for the tree. I don't know. But the cave is consistent. That's interesting. There's always a cave when you're talking about tech. Is there anything else we want to dissect on this letter? Because if not, I want to uh, to plug our, our April Patreon episode. If you would like to listen to that episode and find out what it is we're talking about behind that paywall, donate as little as $1 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash page of the wind. And uh, for as little as a dollar... Uh, you can get access to all our monthly bonus episodes at higher tiers. You get art from Jordana. Hell yeah. And you should leave us a rating. If uh, there's some place that lets you rate things, yeah. you should do it. Uh, you should leave us a rating there at any of those places. And uh, if you are so besotted with us that you would like merch, you can also go to our merch store, which is at... Okay, you can find our shop at jordanahini.threadless.com. To get the many cool designs on t-shirts, mugs, shower curtains, uh, throw pillows, masks, all that good stuff. Listeners, this is a, a well-oiled machine. We run this, we run a tight ship here yeah, at Page. This is a real Wind. professional operation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you can be sure that Jordana will face face 20 lashes before the mast on tomorrow's page. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, 20 lashes with a truncheon. Um. The wind. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>